Revel Revelation. There's a lot to um to cover, and we're gonna spend most of the series kind of um just teaching on uh you know prophecy, end times, things like that. We have to refer to a lot of 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 scripture. Literally, about half the verses in the book of Revelation refer to Old Testament passages. Okay, so um. We're not going to be able to go through all of those uh, those references, but the ones that are major passages, we will have to stop and look at uh, during um, our time. So we're going to instead of uh, mostly doing like sermons on on Revelation, we'll work out. We're going to just teach our way through through each chapter of the book. OK, um, except for chapters two and three, um, those uh, letters to the seven churches would make great sermons. So, <laughs> so we'll we'll hit those two chapters as regular messages, and then we'll get back in chapter four to actually working our way through teaching the the, the book. Right. So chapter one we'll cover today, and then uh, since there are messages to seven churches, the the next seven Sundays we'll look at the message to each one of those uh, churches. And see how those things, uh, those messages apply to us today. All right. Let us pray. And then we will jump into Revelation chapter one. Father, again, we come before you thanking you for all that you have done for us, especially for what you've done for us in Christ. We ask, Lord, as we start this series on Revelation, that you would give us wisdom, knowledge and understanding. This book is is laden with imagery. And uh, we don't want that to be a hindrance for us understanding uh, what is being said. So I pray that you would open our eyes and allow us to behold beautiful things in your word, uh, as the psalm says. And I pray, Lord, that you would, would help us to have confidence, knowing that even though this is speaking about judgment and end times, Lord, we don't have to worry about that because we're in Christ. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter one, rather than reading all 20 of these verses uh, all at once, I'm going to break it up into different sections here. What I want us to see here in this text of scripture, uh, as I said, that this whole book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right. Both uh, in both senses that it is a revelation by Jesus. Right. Jesus is the one who gave this revelation to the apostle John. Uh, and it is also a revelation of Jesus, giving us an understanding of who he is and what he is doing in order to bring God's um, eternal plan to a close. So I would say that this passage, if I were to give it a subject, is about Jesus, the righteous judge. That's what we'll see in this passage of scripture. Right now, let me read quickly verses one, two and three. Right. Introduction into this text says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And one of the things I just want to point out, just one thing in, in this text of scripture, is that 
some people debate on whether or not the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy or if it is a book of um, like an apocalyptic literature. Right now, um, uh, some people, many commentators, commentators who that I I really love um, see this book as an apocalyptic book. Okay, In, in the vein of Old Testament apocalyptic writings, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible. And they hold to that because uh, the, the Greek word for re- revelation literally is apocalypsis. Okay, so, and so they say the name itself lets you know that it is an apocalypse. And when we talk about an apocalypse, we're referring to um, a body of literature that speaks in, in very um, uh, image-driven uh, ways, right, um, speaking of, of the world end, right, in a climactic way, okay, um, and so I think that the book of Revelation does do that, but I do not think that the book of Revelation itself is an apocalypse, right, it literally is prophecy, and, and John calls it prophecy five times in the book, so even though the book has apocalyptic features, this is still a book of prophecy, right, this is a prophecy that Jesus Christ gave to John about the future, even though it has apocalyptic uh, themes. Okay. Now, starting at verse 4, John starts this chapter off by giving us a Trinitarian greeting. He wants you to know that, that what he is about to reveal, the entire Trinity is involved. He says, verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, right? This is the the group that the that this book is written to. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. Now here. What I want us to see in this verse is that Jesus is being put into this Trinitarian greeting to show that he is the sovereign judge of all of the earth. Notice the, what, it, um, what it says. At first, it starts off talking about the God the Father. He then talks about the seven spirits of, of God, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Um, you can jot these down. I'm not going to uh, look at these verses you can look at chat, um, Revelation 3.1, Revelation 4.5, and Revelation 5.6, and we'll see that the seven spirits of God is actually a reference to the Holy Spirit. Right. And then he says, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Now, again, I want us to r- turn over to um, Psalm 89 really quickly, because I want us to see that John is not saying that Jesus is the first person to rise from the dead. If Jesus was the firstborn 
right? And it, and we take that. We talked before about how uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will say that when Jesus is called the firstborn, it means that he's the first one, right? Um, but that is not the understanding of the word firstborn, okay? And just one example, I know we spent some time looking at this before, but just one example for us to see that the idea of firstborn is talking about a position of status, right? It is talking about Jesus's sovereignty. We know that Jesus was not the literally the first person resurrected from the dead. I mean, we could rattle off a list of people, J- Lazarus, <laughs> okay? A ton of people were raised from the dead. So he can't be the first person raised from the dead. That is not what firstborn means. Just one example here, Psalm 89, Verse 24, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So what does it mean to be firstborn? It's a position of status. It's a position of sovereignty over something. So when he says here in Revelation chapter 1 that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, he has sovereignty over all of those that God will raise from the dead. Is everyone with me? He is the firstborn from the dead, and he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, if we remember to Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, right, when Jesus returns, he has a robe, and it says, on his robe there is a name, and it is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This passage here is setting the tone for the rest of the book to show that as God, Jesus is the sovereign and righteous judge. He also goes on to say two other things that I I, I can't let go. These are, I think, for us, something that is most important. He says that he loves us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, I could stop here and go back to uh, the old church, and we could sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? Could do that, but I don't have time for all of that. So we're going to keep we're going to keep 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 it moving, okay? <laughs> all right. But the reason that he is the firstborn of the dead, the reason that he has sovereignty over all the ones that God will resurrect to new life for eternity in heaven is because he washed us with his blood. He died for us. Now, Of course, as we saw last week in in my introduction, right, verse 7 is is the theme of the book of Revelation. It is the theme. It tells us what everything in the book of Revelation is about. Now, uh, read verse 7 together again. It says, Behold, 
He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. You know, it's funny that uh, everybody claims Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. I remember uh, th- this uh, song. It was really satire, but uh, th- th- the song was like, Jesus is my homeboy. Right? Uh, and, 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 and part of the problem is that we all look at Jesus like he is the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Right? He, he's, he's always waiting to swing into action just to serve us, to fix things, and make life okay. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is great. He's nice. Everybody claims Jesus. Everybody is waiting for Jesus to come back to make everything all right. But John says that when he returns, they will look on the one that they have pierced, and the nations of the earth will mourn. Jesus' second coming is not an exciting time, (laughs) not for his enemies. Won't be an exciting time. When Jesus returns, he is not going to return as some meek and mild character that is coming to make everyone feel good. He is going to return as the righteous judge of all the earth, the one whose eyes are like a flame of fire. Now, I want us to look at, uh, really quickly, two, two te- um, passages in the Old Testament uh, about this. Of course, I want us to look at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. This is just uh, the, uh, one of the references that John makes. If you don't know where Zechariah is, go to Malachi and go one book to your left. Zechariah chapter 12. This is just a reference that John makes. I'll read it. I know some people aren't there yet, but. Verse 10, it says, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for a their firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. And then it goes on to talk about the different uh, groups of, of people there. So it will not be a day of celebration when Jesus returns. It will be a day of mourning and grief and pain. Right. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 61. We all know this passage because Jesus one day went to the synagogue and he picked up a scroll and he began to read from the scroll and he read this passage of Isaiah. And it's very interesting what Jesus did when he read this passage in Isaiah. Jesus literally reads verse one and then he reads verse two and only reads half of the verse. He doesn't read the second half. When he finishes reading the first half of the verse, he rolls up the scroll and he sits down. Listen to what Jesus read. Isaiah 61 verse 1. 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll and he sat down. What did Jesus not read in the second part of the verse? He says, again, verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. See, when Jesus came the first time, he didn't come to bring God's vengeance. He came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God is coming, sent me to set everyone free. But that's not the purpose of his second coming. God has appointed a day where he will judge the world. And Jesus says on that day, every idle word is going to be judged. Now we mumble out under our breath when our supervisor says things, or when your parents say things, you're like, they didn't hear you, but God did. And he says, on that day, every idle word is going to be judged. He's keeping track of, of everything that we watch. I don't know why I'm doing this, but. I don't know what's on here, <laughs> but God knows. <laughs> okay. he, he knows everything that we watch, everything that we say, everything that we do, and every single evil thing is going to be judged. It's the day of vengeance for our God. Jesus is not coming as, as a little baby. We rock him in the... In the, in the, in the, in the manger, and oh, he's so cute, you know. It's not a time for that. Jesus is coming as the righteous judge of all the earth to bring vengeance on all of God's enemies. Now, uh, it's something that we will see. We'll see this uh, through in the in the book of Revelation that that is what the book of Revelation is all about. God created the world so that mankind can be in, in a loving and peaceful relationship with him. But instead of embracing God as our God and our king, we turn our backs on him and we push him away. And, and, and God still being loving and merciful and kind, he sent Jesus to die in our place because, as we saw last week, He's our creator, sustainer, redeemer. And Jesus died and paid the penalty so that we could be back in right relationship with God. And yet, there's some people who still turn their backs on Jesus. And, and then all of us, I was going to say some of us, all of us do what uh, the Bible says in Hebrews. When we willfully sin, we take the blood of Jesus' cross, 
and we trample it under our feet. That's what we do as Christians. When we sin intentionally, we take Jesus' blood and just <laughs> doesn't mean that much to me, Jesus. My sin me- means more. And see, we come to church on Sundays, we're like, well, they don't know what I did last night. Right? But just like that movie, I know what you did last summer. <laughs> right? Jesus knows. And God has appointed a day of vengeance. John here is telling us that, that Jesus is, is moving on. Not, he, he's not coming as the creator or sustainer of the world, as we saw last week. He's not coming as the redeemer of the world. When Jesus returns, and the whole focus of the book of Revelation is he is coming as the ruler of the world to bring all of God's work to conclusion. Bring it to an end. He does this by showing us in the rest of this passage that Jesus is the God of the world who brings judgment on behalf of God the Father. Now, look at how he starts this. Verse 8, as we'll work our way uh, uh, through these verses and, and then we'll, we'll be done for, the, for today. Uh, he starts off with this quote. Verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, I know we don't normally uh, stop to ask questions on Sundays. We do that, excuse me, for Bible study. But let me ask you all this a question. Who is this verse referring to? Who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, uh, the Almighty One? Okay, some people say the Father, some people say Jesus. How do we know? Una, cousins in red. <laughs> they didn't have red ink back then. So <laughs> Una. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So you say that Jesus has a beginning and an end. That's not what it, that's not. Uh, that is not what beginning and end uh, refers to, okay? Now, notice here, one of the things, you can't see this, of course, but um, the majority of Greek manuscripts here has um, the word Lord God, right? So it reads, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. And if we, and um, the phrase the Almighty, if we go back to the Old Testament and look at the references for the phrase Lord God, it always, always refers to God the Father, so, and, uh, bless you, in this book, the phrase, the Almighty One, every time it is used in the book, it always refers to God the Father. Okay? So this is God the Father speaking. God the Father is saying, 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty One. So, uh, so it's not saying beginning and the end like a start point and an end point. It is saying that he is the originator of every, everything, right? Okay. So uh, God the Father here speaks. He's, he has this title for himself as the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, or a better way of saying the first and the last. Okay. Now, John, of course, we know is now on the island of Patmos. Okay. Um, church history, if you um, accept this uh, uh, interpretation of it, uh, says that John uh, was, was, I guess, so hated for his ministry that uh, they tried to kill him three times, but he just would not die. Okay, they they boiled him in hot oil three times, but he just wouldn't die. So they shipped him off to the island of Patmos to work in the mines. And so John is is on the island of Patmos, and and it's Sunday. It's Sunday. It's time for church. And this is a church service that is not like any other church service out there. He says, verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island of Patmos uh, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, a reference to Sunday. Uh, We know that from literature at the time, the Lord's day was a technical term, um, became a technical term for Sunday. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, who is speaking? Who here is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last? Why do, why do you say it was Jesus? Okay. Okay. Anybody else? <laughs> you were saying Una? Yours is written in red. <laughs> okay. Janita? Okay. Nope, didn't say that. I I said, who was speaking? Who was speaking when in verse 8 it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, right? And I said, it's God the Father speaking because um, he goes on to say, the Lord God is a phrase in the Old Testament that refers only to God the Father, right? Um, So the person who said in verse 8, who said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, is the Father, because the, f- the, t- the name, title, Lord God, refers only to the Father, and the Almighty One in the book of Revelation only refers to the Father. Okay? Um, but in verse uh, 11, who is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, is the question. Okay? That would mean, 
first of all, that Derek's Bible has verse 8 in red, that's wrong. Right? Because, because again, they didn't have red ink, right? Th th that's just the, the people who printed out English translation was like, hmm, I think that's Jesus speaking, and they put it in red. They got that one wrong. What is that? The new, I don't, that's why I don't like the new revised standard. <laughs> okay, but stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Okay. Because I, because if 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 I need to, I will go get my Greek text and read it to you in Greek and let you know why they're wrong. Okay. But stay with me. Chat verse eleven. Who is speaking when it says, "I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last"? And why? Because what? <laughs> okay. We know because verse 12 says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And, and, and what is the number one title that Jesus used of himself his whole life in the Gospels? The Son of Man. Now think about this. In verse 8, God the Father is speaking, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And in verse 11, Jesus is speaking to John, and Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What is, what is Jesus claiming by using God's title for himself? Jesus is claiming the title of deity for himself. Now, I don't know about you, but everywhere in the Bible where I see people claiming to be God, they get killed very quickly. <laughs> God doesn't stand for people claiming his title. And yet, Jesus doesn't do it just here. In chapter 22, the last chapter of the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus here, through the Apostle John, is claiming to be the God of the universe, and he therefore is coming as its righteous judge. Does anyone see that? Revelation verse 9 starts off giving us this vision of the resurrected and glorified Christ. Jesus claims himself to be the Alpha and the Omega, and therefore he is claiming to be able to judge the earth. I want you to really quickly turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, Jesus talks about this judgment again. John chapter 5. We know that the Bible routinely, from throughout from the Old Testament and New Testament, it all claims that 
God will come and judge the world. But listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5. Everyone there, John chapter 5, verse 22. He says, for the Father judges no one. The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Just as in Greek means equally in the same way. Honor the Son equally with the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, but the will of the father who sent me. Jesus says that God, the father does not judge anyone. All judgment has been committed to Jesus, the son. And Jesus is now in the book of Revelation preparing himself to come and execute that judgment over the world. That's, ex that's exactly what they're going to say on that day. <laughs> what did he say, Siri? I'm sorry. <laughs> now, John sees Jesus. Jesus speaks to him. He hears this voice. He has, hears a loud voice. The Bible says that his voice sounds like thunder or like the rushing of many waters. And John turns around to see who is speaking to him. And this is what he sees. He sees Jesus, the Son of Man, standing in the middle of seven golden candlesticks. Now people debate, well, what are these seven golden candlesticks? But, but the answer is in verse 20. We know what the seven golden candlesticks are. The candlesticks represents the seven churches that John is to send his letter to. This is going to be something important as we come back up. I'm coming to this later. We know in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says that judgment must begin first in the house of God. And if judgment begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
Jesus here is coming to, to John to let him know that judgment is going to start with the, with the seven churches, the seven golden candlesticks. And Jesus will say to them, get your act together or I'm going to come and remove your candlestick. I'm going to shut you down. Interesting note of history. He says that to the church in Ephesus. It's interesting that we know the history of the city of Ephesus because within 300 years of this letter, what happens to the city of Ephesus? The entire city is destroyed and the church is no more. You go there today. They send you on tours. You can take cruises to the city of Ephesus and look at the ruins. Jesus is not playing with his judgment. John sees him standing in the midst of these seven golden candlesticks. He says he sees one like the son of man. He's clothed with a garment down to his feet and he's girded about his chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Wonder what he's going to do with that. And his countenance, <laughs> and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, I want us to quickly turn to the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel. John says that he sees Jesus. He's standing in the midst of these candlesticks, and, and he looks like the Son of Man. Now, this is a reference, of course, as I said, Jesus uses this, this phrase, this term of himself, more than any other title, right, the Son of Man. And, and the question is, well, what is he referring to? What, 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 who is this Son of Man? And we see this in the prophecy of Daniel. As I said, we'll be looking at Daniel a lot. You cannot um, understand the book of Revelation without the book of Daniel. You cannot understand, really, the book of Daniel without the book of Revelation. Okay? Um, the, these things uh, kind of go together. And so listen to what he says. Again, this whole purpose here of the book of Daniel is to show that this son of man is the sovereign ruler of the world. Verse 9, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Verse 9, he says, I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. Who's the Ancient of Days? God, God the Father, okay? And verse, uh, 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 continue, he said, The Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. We'll skip to verse 13 because uh, verses 11 and 12 are talking about the Antichrist. And we'll see that when we go later in the book of Revelation. Uh, verse 13, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. 
Okay, remember we just heard that about Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. We also remember, think back when Jesus was being um, uh, examined by the high priest, and he said, are you the Christ? And he says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Okay, so Jesus saw himself as the one in Daniel 7. He says, behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now, a couple things uh, uh, we have to keep in mind here that this ancient of days is God the Father. Who, who is this son of man? Now, we looked at this last week, and we see that Jesus as the son of man is being equated with God. Right? He is the one whose kingdom will not pass away, and his kingdom is the one which will never be destroyed. No, what kingdom? Why are we saying the one? What, what are we referring to? We have to go to Daniel chapter 2 and look at this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. Okay. Now, of course, we see here of course, um, in Daniel 7, Jesus is going to have this kingdom. Uh, his kingdom um, is an everlasting kingdom. He's going to have dominion. And all nations, all languages, all people will serve him, Philippians chapter 2, at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Again, as we saw last week, just the word Lord itself is a reference to Jesus being God. Okay. But listen to this, this uh, dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, right? Of course, we know King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. What, 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 one second. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and... In his dream, he was terrified about his dream, right? He calls all of his counselors together, and he says, I'm not going to tell you my dream. You have to tell me my dream. And if you can't tell me my dream, I'm going to kill you, <laughs> okay? And that's, that's tough. You know, imagine being in the president's cabinet, and the president has a dream. He said, now listen, y'all going to tell me what my dream was, well, I'm going to execute everybody in my cabinet, right? How many people put a resignation in real quick? <laughs> right. So, so we pick up verse 24 of chapter 2. Verse 24, Daniel chapter 2. Yep, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel picks up here in order to tell him what his dream was and to interpret his dream for him. Therefore... Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, 
the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Right? And we, we could pick that up on all of the astrologers and the psychics and everybody. They, 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 they can't tell you what's going on. Okay. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass when? After this. Where do we hear that? Last week, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus says to John, write the things that are the things that, I mean, the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that will take place after this. Okay? So, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation. Uh, now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, shall, uh, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of pottery clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. 
It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Now, remember, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he sees different parts of the, of the statue is made of different elements, gold and silver, bronze, iron, and then iron mixed with clay. And we know that uh, these uh, uh, kingdoms that came to pass, we know that, of course, it was Babylon. Then there was um, the Medo-Persians. Of course, then there was um, uh, Greece with Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, interesting note of history, did not destroy the city of Jerusalem as he was spreading across Africa and, and um, uh, the Mediterranean and, and building his, uh, his empire. He did not destroy the city of Jerusalem because the priest came out, showed him the book of Daniel um, here and the second dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, showing that Alexander the Great would prosper and that he would conquer so many things, and it pleased him so much, he did not destroy the city of Jerusalem. After um, that, of course, we know that uh, Rome takes power, okay? But he says that, we, th that, this, that he's telling you about all of the kingdoms that are going to rule the world. But then Nebuchadnezzar sees a, a, a stone, that is cut out of the mountain, but not with human hands. And this stone crushes all other kingdoms. And then the stone grows to become a kingdom that will last forever and ever. Now, Daniel chapter 7 tells us about the Son of Man, and it says that his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. So we put it all together. We see that Jesus, when he comes, he's coming to destroy all other rulers, all other dominion, all other people who have claimed to be rulers of the earth. He will come and destroy all other kingdoms. And he's going to set up his kingdom and his kingdom will be universal and it will be eternal. Does everyone see that? John, back in Revelation chapter 1, he sees Jesus. Jesus is standing there. He says Jesus has a garment down to his feet, and he has a golden band around his chest. If we had the time to go to, to, to the book of Ezekiel, we would see that Jesus is wearing the garment of a judge. And John, at this point, he knew Jesus. He lived with Jesus for three and a half years. But when John sees Jesus, he is terrified. John says, I fell at his feet as someone who is dead. Verse 17. Well, John, John, that was his friend. Remember in the Gospels, John is the disciple that Jesus loves. Jesus wasn't coming back as a friend. Jesus was coming as the righteous judge. And John collapses on the floor like, maybe if I play dead, he'll leave me alone. 
<laughs> let, me, let me just play the hits. Okay. He, he collapses in fear, and Jesus comes to him. He touches him on the shoulder and says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. You don't have to be afraid of me, John. I'm the one who died for you. And I'm alive. And I will be alive forevermore. Jesus ends this section here claiming to have power and authority over death and hell. He says, don't be afraid, John. I'm the first and the last. The alpha and the, uh, I am he who lives. And was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell, or Hades, and death. I have control over death itself and over hell. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lam um, lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, right? So the, the, the leaders of the seven churches, I got a message for you. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Jesus here is telling John, you're going to write this letter. You're going to send it to the seven churches. You're going to address it to the pastors of these churches. And you're going to tell them to get them themselves together. John writes this message down because he wants the church to know before judgment comes to the world, it's going to start in the church. We're going to pick up next week with chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, chapter 2 verses 1 down to verse 7 and as we work our way through uh, these uh, these uh, two chapters chapters 2 and 3 the message to the seven churches right there are seven messages only two of them are positive the bulk of what Jesus has to say to the church is, is negative get yourself together because I'm coming. <laughs> Judgment has to start with you. Uh, it, it, th this is a terrifying uh, message, uh, as, we'll, as we'll see, because <laughs> Jesus starts off every single message with, to the angel of the house, uh, church of this one, this one, this one, say this, I know your works. I know your works. And that is the basis of, of, of the judgment that he's going to begin um, at the churches. I know your works. He says, I know you're doing this. I know you're doing that. But I know this also. And then he goes into the rest of his me message that's negative. Then he threatens them. <laughs> All right. Uh, get it together. Or I'm going to close your church down. As we go through the book of Revelation, there's going to be a lot in the book of Re Revelation to be pessimistic about. 
<laughs> there's, but I know that even someone says, he's like, do we really have to go through Revelation? I don't like Revelation. I'm really scared of the book of Revelation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but although, let, let me, although there is a lot to be pessimistic about in the book of Revelation, um, the one thing that, that I find joy about the Revelation is we won't be here. Now, we will, I mean, there's still judgment that comes to the church, right? Um, but the bulk of what we are going to see in the book of Revelation, we won't be here, right? Um, so I, I know that uh, some people have anxiety. I don't want to know about this. I don't know. I don't want to read this book. But take take comfort in the fact that we won't be here, number one. And number two, uh, because we know Jesus, our judgment will be with mercy. <laughs> okay. Amen. All right. So um, what we see here is Jesus is preparing himself to come to judge the church and the world. Okay. Um. I was uh, talking to somebody I was talking to just the other day, and they were talking about um, something happened. I don't know, some event happened recently, and they were like, well, is that, you know, like showing that the, um, like, you know, we're climbing close to the time of Revelation? No. I don't know when this, this is going to take place, okay? I'm not saying that, you know, next week Jesus is coming back. Um, I know when we get to Matthew chapter 24 and 25, it's like, oh, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all of these things. There's going to be famine. And I mean, for the last 2000 years, there have been wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines. Um, so we can't equate current events with the things that are taking place in the book of Revelation. We just don't know. Okay. Our job is not to be able to time when these events are going to take place. Our responsibility is to be ready, right? So many parables that Jesus gave what was about being ready, be watchful, right? Don't be the servant that, that the, the master gives you talents and tells you to go do work for me, and, and then you hang out, you have fun, you bury the talent in the ground, and then he says that the landowner comes on a day that you don't expect. Right. Don't be that servant. Our job is not to know when the events of Revelation are going to take place, when Jesus is going to return. That's not our job. Our job is to be a faithful steward during the time that he has given us. And when he comes, right, he says that uh, Paul says that, you know, it will be praise and honor and glory for all who love his appearing. Be ready. Our job. Question. Nope. Because the first event to happen before the before the events of Revelation take place is the rapture. So the the rapture of the church takes place first. So the the, the next event that will occur is not the return of Jesus, it will be the rapture of the church. So Paul says that, that Jesus comes um, um, in the clouds, right? The church is, ra is, is raptured up to, to heaven with him, um, and then the events of, of Revelation uh, begin. So we, we will not be here. Um, now, I know that there are some who hold to different 
uh, views on the tribulation, right? So we are pre-tribulational. We believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. And I think that that fits with the, the best interpretation of all of the text. There are some people who hold to um, um, like a post-tribulation rapture, which I, is just weird to me. Um, it's like, well, what's the point of a rapture after the after the tribulation? So we live through the tribulation. Jesus brings us back to life, and then we back on earth again. I'm like, okay. Um, and there are some people who, who um, hold to a mid-tribulational view that that we that Christians will live through the first half of the tribulation period. Then the rapture takes place and God pours out all of his wrath during the second half of the tribulation period. But um, again, as we'll go as we go through these passages of, of on these different issues, I think that the best way, the best interpretation of all of these passages is to see the rapture takes place first. It is what what brings about the tribulation period. So um, we won't be here when all of the all of the judgment begins to be poured out on the world. <laughs> we is all, we is all of those people who we we are all of the people who um, have put their faith in Jesus. Right. It is the, the true church. Okay. And now, again, that is why Paul says in First Corinthians 13, he says, examine yourself and see if you are in the faith. There are tons of people who go to church, but they are not in the faith. Right. So 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 we are the people who have genuinely put their faith and trust in Jesus. Right. We will not be here. We will be raptured first. Um, right. We will be caught up. Paul says, um, I know some people like the word rapture is not in the Bible. And I'm like, oh, I, I do understand that. I understand that. That is a rapturo is a Latin word that describes what Paul said when he said we will be caught up. To meet him in the air. Uh, I mean, I make up whatever word you want. The word rapture is not in the Greek text because rapture is a Latin word and the Bible is written in Greek. But give me a word that you like for being caught up to meet him in the air. I don't I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know. Give me another word. <laughs> I just, you know, so maybe we shouldn't say rapture. The being caught up is going to take place first. <laughs> OK. Um, I would, me personally, <laughs> go back to our, cl our, our um, cell groups. We talking about Bible interpretation, right? Uh, me personally, I would reject that 
uh, interpretation of why America is not mentioned. And I will give the interpretation that I have been saying for uh, the last like three, four weeks now. The reason America is not mentioned in the in the Bible is because America did not exist. John didn't know anything about America. He was like, now let me tell you about this one country that's going to come about two, 1,800 years from now. They're going to be a superpower. But guess what? They're not going to be around. <laughs> right? Nope. I think that it's not mentioned because John didn't know anything about, the bo- um, about America. Um, so it on the, 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 the countries that are mentioned in the Bible are geopolitical areas that were already mentioned and known. Right? But the, uh, even though even though the events of the of the book of Revelation are universal, right? It takes it's going to take place all over the world, right? The rapture is going to affect ev- every country, but to a, a to a lesser extent, right? Because of course, you know, if you think about Afghanistan. Afghanistan is one of the the countries with the least number of Christians in the world. Less than one percent of the population of Af- Afghanistan, um, you know, um, uh, will identify as Christians, right? So of course, they're going to ha- the rapture is going to affect them less than it will say America. Um, you know, I don't know how much less because a whole lot of people say they're Christians, but we don't know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, so I mean, I, I'm not saying that they're wrong in that sense that, that the rapture will af- impact Afghanistan less. I think it will because there, there's definitely fewer Christians there. But I don't think that that's why America is not mentioned. America is not mentioned because the, the no country in uh, North America or South America for that matter, was me- mentioned because they only knew about Africa, Europe, and probably Asia. Right? So those are the, when, when we look at what is being mentioned in the Bible, those are the only, you know, countries that are being referenced um, because that's, that's, that was their frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Right? I've heard a lot, you know, America is, is going to be destroyed, and by the time all of these events take place, and that's why, you know, it's not mentioned. I'm like, you know, that's quite possible. We're headed towards that, you know, <laughs> to that right now, right? we work it on very quickly, ceasing to be a country, right, by separating ourselves and all of the infighting and stuff. And like Rome, you know, that's a lot of the stuff. Nations fall, right? America may cease to be a, a superpower by the time these events occur. It's quite possible, but I don't think that's why it's not why why it's not mentioned. It's just not mentioned because they had no clue there would be an America. Um, any other questions? I guess we go op- for Bible study, like a Bible study. Anybody else going once? <laughs> Look around. All right. So we're going to pick um pick up in in chapter 2 um of Revelation a chapter um um of Revelation. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7, right? I want you all to read the book of Revelation how many times? 5 times, all right? So as you if you as you read the, the chapters before we get to them, it'll be fresh in your mind and help you to understand it. So um you can go and read chapter 2 5 times or you might want to read just that one section 5 times, but uh, as you read and read these things over and over and over again, as we go over it in, in church, we will definitely um, have a better understanding of it. And um, as always, um, I know that we normally uh, double whatever we're doing in uh, Sunday service. We usually go over that in Bible study. 
Uh, we're not doing that um, right now. So um, if you have any questions or anything, you can always reach out to me um, about uh, any questions you may have about uh, Revelation as we go through it. Amen. All right. Um, let us let me close this out in prayer. I know I, I know I'm finishing my sermon in prayer. I know I didn't forget offering and all of that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I get little notes. It's like, don't forget. to do it. <laughs> Father, we thank you again for allowing us to be able to come and study your word. We thank you for um, giving us uh, this book of Revelation. Um, it is a terrifying thing to know that uh, you are holy and righteous and you require us to live up to your standards. All of us fall short of your glory, and therefore you have made provision for us to be right with you, and that is by putting our faith and trust in your son, Jesus. But, Lord, all of those people who reject the only method that you have provided will face your judgment. You will come again, Jesus, as the righteous judge of all the earth, and you will put to an end all those who oppose you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and in calling us to yourself. And we pray even now, Lord, as we read the book of Revelation, help us not to look at it from the perspective of, oh, that's them, not us. Help us to, to weep for those people who are your enemies and to pray that you would bring them to salvation. We pray, Lord, Knowing, as Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We pray, Lord, that you would awaken the church, every church, including our church, to have a passion to spread the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl around the world. Help us to live our lives to spread the gospel, telling people, our neighbors and co-workers and family and friends, telling everyone about the grace and mercy of the Lord before it is too late. Teach us, Lord, even as we prepare ourselves for offerings. Teach us to guide our affairs with discretion and not to build up debt so that we can have resources to put into missions and, and organizations that are going to these countries to spread the gospel because we want everyone to have a chance to miss what is going to take place in the book of Revelation. We pray, Lord, that you would be merciful and gracious to this world. We even pray right now for people in Ukraine, Lord, because I know that there are people there that don't know you, that are in the middle of a war, that may lose their lives, and they will go to a Christless hell. We pray, Lord, even in this, that you would use Christians that are hiding in, in, in bunkers and all of those things, that, that they would have enough boldness and strength to share the gospel with people around them so that people can be saved. And we also pray, Lord, that you would be gracious and merciful and bring this war to an end. We thank you now for all of these things, God. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us uh, prepare ourselves to worship in giving. <laughs>